In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament. Our topic of conversation with Jesus is on a very generic topic, formation. So here we are, Thursday evening, trying to make heads or tails out of formation. Why this topic? What is the goal? What are we heading towards? When we contemplate this theme, formation. Formation, you're formed into something. What is it? In fact, the entire gospel is a handbook on formation. The whole gospel, every word of the gospel establishes the goal we're supposed to approach. Now let's begin with a disconcerting phrase of Jesus that he unveiled at the Sermon of the Mount. And he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Lord, help us unpack that phrase. Let's try to reconstruct the seed when Jesus' listeners first heard this. I'm morally certain it really put them on edge because the Pharisees, and they were, were not all hypocrites, even though Jesus called them hypocrites. John the Baptist called some of them brood of vipers. But we have to always remember that a Pharisee took Jesus off the cross. We have to remember that a Pharisee is one of the greatest evangelizers, and his name happens to be St. Paul. And I'm sure there's many Pharisees who converted to Christ. Others did not, obviously. But why would this put people on edge? Because the Pharisee was the role model of the Jewish people. This one true religion that the Jewish people were aware of, and they had a certain superiority complex, for the most part, a good one. We have the one true faith. We hear with our own ears what God says, hence the Old Testament. God himself has spelled out what's required in our own religion. And Christianity basically is a perfection of what began in the Jewish religion. 
And the Pharisees were the role model. Why? First of all, they lived the moral law. They were virtuous. They would win Plato and Aristotle's approval. In fact, in the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, the Pharisee reminds God in his prayer that he lives the moral law and the problem with the publican is that he does not. No easy feat. If some group of people were known to live the moral law in its entirety, we would be impressed. So that's number one. Number two, the Pharisees' praise gave God quality time, as they say today. They prayed a number of times a day. In fact, when you pray the liturgy of the hours, that harkens back to the Old Testament times when there were certain times of the day when you were invited to pray. Well, these Pharisees prayed at these traditional times that now we priests do. At least we're supposed to. Thirdly, they fasted. They deprived themselves of comfort. They deprived themselves of food. They were penitential. And so penitential that turned pale and Jesus said, you know, you don't want to make a scene that you've done fasting. You got to wash your face, throw, sprinkle some cologne on you so it's not obvious. And this is very germane to American society. They were generous with money. They gave alms. They gave a certain percentage of their earnings or their possessions. So they were known for their almsgiving. They were known for their robust prayer life. They were moral people. They were virtuous people. And so I'm sure they were put on edge as listeners because the great majority of his audience were not even close to the good behavior of the Pharisees. What does Jesus mean? I mean, if people who pray a number of times a day and give their possession, give, give away their possessions generously and do a lot of fasting and don't violate the Ten Commandments more or less, what does he mean by my holiness should exceed that of the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. And to top it off, the Pharisee was very conversant with the Old Testament. He was an expert. He knew the contents of his religion. Our Lord says in the same sermon that our presence must have an effect on our peace of the world. What's our peace of the world? Family usually? That's one piece of the world. Our workplace is another piece of the world. Our social circle, in other words, people we hang out with, we spend time with, we celebrate with, we relax with. That piece of the world could be our fellow parishioners or friends of our children. But we all have a piece of the world. 
And Jesus says we have to be a light in that segment of the world in which we find ourselves. We probably know the answer, but we'll pray about what that means. So Jesus uses that analogy of, of light. Your presence must affect changes around you. Let's see what that means. And then Jesus says, be careful that you have no effect on others. You're salt of the earth. I mean, salt in itself is not better than steak or better than tomato sauce or better than french fries. But what salt does, if it's salty, it brings out flavor. If you want, it converts the food into good tasting food. It gets the best out of the food, that's what it does. If you don't put the salt on and you're stuck with high blood pressure and you're on a slow sodium diet, everything's bland. Everything tastes like chicken, white chicken. Jesus says, you gotta make sure you maintain your saltness. Today's gospel, where Jesus says, go house to house and enter in. It's all about, again, having an effect on other people. What's that effect? It's that very high bar, I know, I'm preaching to myself. May your behavior, St. Josemaria says in the way, may your behavior and your conversation be such that everyone who sees or hears you can say, this man or woman reads the life of Jesus Christ. Tall order. Now we're getting warmer what it means to exceed the holiness of the scribes and the Pharisees. I think everybody can fall into that defect, but I think we Americans especially can, where we identify discipleship with performance. I mean, that was the problem with the Pharisee. And we see the inner sanctum of this perhaps hypothetical Pharisee's heart when he starts denigrating the publican, judging the publican, rejecting the publican, disassociating himself with the publican. Even the publican would score points with Jesus. We have to separate performance from love. There's a difference. We have to separate following Christ as if we're playing tennis or baseball. I don't want to strike out. I want, to, I want some hits. I want to win some tennis matches. That's what the Pharisees were into. They were, okay, the poverty piece. Okay, I'm doing that. I'm giving alms. Uh, yeah, I'm, doing, I'm fasting. I'm... And there's a certain sense of self-satisfaction. 
I've had good, very good people, and sometimes I think they're too hard on themselves. Telling me that they tried to help the underprivileged. And to do some corporal works of mercy, all sorts of things that go on, a youth group I'm familiar with and help out a little bit, spend all day once a month with homeless people, others tutor inner city kids, others work in soup kitchens, whatever. And a lot of good people, they tell me, well, I need conversion. I go, hmm, let's at least recognize you're doing something good. He says, well, I'm doing it for the wrong reason. I go, what's the reason you're doing it for? So I feel, feel good about myself. I, I, I say, you're being too tough on yourself. He says, Father, unfortunately, I think that's why I'm doing it. I still don't agree completely. I said, well, where do you want to be? Says, I want to do it out of love. I don't want to do it for myself. I want to do it for God. I want to do it to please God. I want to do, but I, I, I do it to feel smug and happy with myself. We ask our Lord for his mercy and his help and that's his, and he helps us. We sin, I mean, we all sin. And we're sorry because I did not perform well. And sometimes we're the hardest person to own up to sin is ourselves. I mean, it's never easy to say it in confession. It's never easy to say it to God. Sometimes the hardest person to admit it to is ourselves. Why? Well, because I didn't perform well. Some people even come this generic as it happens often. Well, I know you told me to do some mental prayer or call it whatever you want, Lexio Divina, quiet time with Jesus. And I started doing it yesterday, and I gotta be honest with you, I'm doing it because you're gonna ask me. Like, okay, well, it's a start. I wanna ask you next time. Let's Again, read words of Jesus that do need contemplating. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Hmm, that's St. Matthew. St. Luke is a bit more accurate. Or, he gives us an added piece of information that Matthew doesn't give. Luke says, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Now, you can understand why I would say this. It's more anecdotal. Do I have a natural bias? Yes. And I'm referring to the last prelate who passed away, who, whom I knew. And why, are, why do I use him as an example? Well, he was the right-hand man of a canonized saint. That's not usual. 
and to top it off, then he was even a, the right, the spiritual director and confessor of the successor of Saint Jose Maria, who, be, who was beatified with hundreds of thousands of people honoring that beatification. And so, I mean, if he's not well formed, who is? And some Spanish priest gave me a book a journalist wrote right after he died with a lot of anecdotes of his life. And so I'm there leafing through it. And he's in Spain on some pastoral business. And he's walking out of the Opus Dei Center, I think in Valladolid, Spain. And the vicar there of that area of Spain tells the prelate, who we used to call father, or we do call father, uh, there's Jesus, he's a known journalist in Spain. I want to introduce you to him. So they exchange pleasantries. And after they part ways, the priest accompanying the prelate says, by the way, his, his wife died a few months ago. And then he had a knee-jerk reaction to the prelate, Don Javier, we'll just call him Don Javier. Jesus, come back here. I want to assure you that your wife is with you. Have presence of your wife and speak to her. And then he ran into him again and reminded him that he was praying for his wife. And they struck up a friendship. And the journalist, who not really interested in Opus Dei, made that, the interview makes it very clear. It's not for him at all. Not interested. He said, he was very impressed with him. He said, my experience of this Bishop is that he's more or less a male version in terms of his love, a male version of Mother Teresa. He says, I have two models of love. Mother Teresa and Don Javier. Not bad. Well, I'm not biased because he he would probably not be here for the evening of recollection because he's not interested in Opus Day. But that's what he wrote. And I would see, with my own experiences, the affection he would have for everybody. I mean, you talk to him, it was a gift too. And whatever you had to say, he was totally immersed in what you had to say. He was a, a listener that was off the charts. He would gravitate on your profession, on your family, very interested in every, every aspect about you, and remember details you shared with them. Now, I think that's what we mean by our righteousness but must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. What is this light? What is this salt? But the ability to be recognized 
as a follower of Christ by our love and affection, by our joy, by our kindness. How do I go about it? He got formed by St. Josemaria because in the same book written by this journalist, this wasn't the journalist whose wife died, St. Josemaria bawled him out when he was younger. Long story short, he informed St. Josemaria that somebody in the house who lived in that house, which had probably about 150 people, the head Opus Dei headquarters, said that so-and-so was driven to the hospital and just want to let you know and they're using our car to drive so-and-so to the hospital. And St. Jose Maria said, who is it that they're driving to the hospital and what's wrong with him? He says, I don't know. I was in such a rush and that never got around to gathering that information. And he said, never do that again. We're a family here. You find out who went. You find out what went wrong. You be concerned with that. And then, I guess in Spanish fashion, never make that mistake again. Okay. If, if someone said that to us here, we'd fall apart, but there you can get away with it. Never do that again. So that has something to do with it. Now, going back and maybe the, the topic should be transformation into the heart of Jesus. Transformation so that we approach. Love one another as I have loved you. And that way they will know that you're my disciples. This is very compatible with weaknesses and sins and foibles. But there has to be an intangible. I'll, maybe I'll, it sounds very corny. There has to be a glow surrounding us. I don't, I don't mean a preternatural glow. Where they're picking up, this, this person has that heart of Christ, or he or she is heading in that direction. I recall many years ago now, this physician, he was a bishop's physician. I think it occurred in Chicago. Yeah, it occurred in Chicago. Bishop's physician. I think Cardinal's physician. Wait, you're talking about 1979. And John Paul was living in the Cardinal's residence when he was in Chicago in 1979. And uh, he invited his physician to meet John Paul. And I met the physician elderly man now. He said, I didn't want to go. I go, why didn't you want to go? He said, because I was too nervous. I didn't know what to say. He said, but, you know, the cardinal asked me to go, so out of respect for both the pope and the cardinal, I didn't want to say no, but I, I really, in my heart of hearts, I didn't want to go. And he went. And I said, well, how was it? He said, it was, it was wonderful. I felt like we had been best friends all our lives. All sorts of formalities were cast aside and it was 
like seeing my dad. Who, and it was very human. And he said the same thing, listening to everything, and very concerned about my background, my profession, what I do, how many kids I got, how they are doing. And he said, I'm so happy I went. Now, this would require another half hour. Well, we will do another half hour or maybe shorter when we do the plan of life. But there's three components to formation. Number one is the Holy Spirit. We go at God's pace. And to be a little bit detached, well, I know I have to do things out of love, but I do it out of performance. Let the Holy Spirit form us. That's number one. Second component, desire, my freedom. Jesus says, in the measure you gave, in the measure you will receive. And at God's pace, not to even judge ourselves. The judgment we could cast upon ourselves is, am I struggling? Do I desire this union with Christ? Am I struggling to put into practice? Because it's kind of interesting, and I'm going to finish now. That when Jesus speaks about truth, he never says learn the truth. Subtle. Probably somebody out there is going to say, oh yes he does, here it is. You misled us. But more or less he doesn't say, even the Psalms don't say, learn the word, memorize the word. It's do the truth. Do it. Do the word. In case you don't believe me. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon rock. Do it. And St. Paul will say, do the truth in charity. Do it. And the shortcut, if we bring Mary into this, again to quote virtually every modern saint, if we bring Mary into this, we can be assured that we will be formed according to the heart of Christ. Mary, we put our formation in your hands so that little by little, with our sins and foibles and weaknesses, we approach that impossible goal, that we become a light of the world, that we become salt of the earth, we become leaven in the mass. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Holy Mary, I hope, see to wisdom. Pray.